This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Gutsy Health Podcast, where we like to talk about controversial health topics. We have another really great one for you today. And this is a topic that's extremely close to my heart because I was in the mental health world for over a decade before our whole journey kind of led us to where we are now. But during all those years, I started to get really frustrated and started to get really down about how things are set up in our society because mm-hmm. it seems like everything around us is designed to make us sad and depressed and broken and kind of reliant on things around us totally. for our happiness, right? We were told by doctors, for instance, that we are genetically broken. We are designed to be sick. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that can help us is medication. So we take the medication and it kind of works. It numbs us out, but it doesn't make us happy. And then we continue on this path of misery. We try a million things. None of them seem to work. And eventually we just give in and decide, well, that's just how I am. And what are we at? Like, Half the world, it seems like, is in this place of I'm I'm mm-hmm. depressed and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's just kind of how it's going to be for me. And then we interact with each other. We make yeah. it even worse because we expect each other to be depressed and, and anxious and unhappy. And it's just a vicious cycle. Totally. So today's interview with Dr. Elia Gogoris is just a breath of fresh air because it changes that whole paradigm. And if you can really listen to what he has to say today and this conversation that we're about to have, it could change everything for you if you've been struggling with this like so many people have for so long. So we are, we've done an, another episode, if you guys want to go back and listen to it, on the biochemistry of healing mental mood disorders and um, kind of taking out the flames in the body to help the mind heal. Because if you haven't heard before, your gut is your second brain. And your gut makes 200 times more serotonin than your actual brain. So it's so important that we heal the gut to heal the brain. But we're not going to be talking about that today because we've already spoken about it. So what we're going to be talking about today is the implementation, the practice, the steps, what we do in our daily lives with the happiness expert, Dr. Elia. So Dr. Elia, thank you so much for being on our podcast. He is on the phone call with us all the way from sunny Colorado. How's it going, Dr. Elia? It's a happy day. The sun is out. It's shining. So let's do this. We are so excited to have you as our guest today. We've been dying for you to come on for a while, actually, Elia. So um, we have tons of questions for you. But first, tell us a little bit about your book and where people can find it. What prompted you to pick such a topic? And we want to hear way more about the Happiness Center. Well, it's a pleasure being here. So the book, you can find it on Amazon. But the exciting news in the last... Uh, month really is that the Chinese version, it got translated to Chinese, the ebook version. So that's out uh, on the market. And the Greek version, the actual book came out last month in Greece. That's awesome. I'm Greek. So I want to spread some happiness in Greece and the the Spanish translation just finished. So that's going to be coming out in the next few months. So happiness seems to be spreading. Wow. uh, Yeah. Even in Turkey, believe it or not, they actually contacted me and the, one of the biggest publishing houses, I just signed a contract with them. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And that's exciting. I never imagined this would happen. So the the book is doing great and uh, more people uh, to bless, I guess. Awesome. And tell us about the Happiness Center. 
So the Happiness Center is an organization that I started uh, many, many years ago. But the exciting news about the Happiness Center is I have partners now. Mm-hmm. I have three world-leading experts in positive psychology, uh, clinical psychologists, one in London that kind of takes care of Europe, one in Hong Kong for Asia, and a wonderful lady in Australia. Mm-hmm. So if there's a company that actually wants you know, corporate wellness, they want their employees to be happy, any part of the world, we can uh, help them achieve that. That's fantastic. Because, How do people get a hold of you? Or they have, um, like to to utilize this service. You can go to thehappinesscenter.com. Very and cool. uh, that's the best way to uh, to get in contact with me and and with my with my team. They're wonderful partners. These are very good people to begin with, and they're also passionate about happiness and wellness. Awesome. So we decided to collaborate and just spread our wings beyond the United States and uh, you know serve the world. Very cool. And before we launch into our questions, tell us about the international speaking. So the international speaking started in the last 12 months. I've had the opportunity to speak in uh, in Paris first at a psychiatric uh, and mental health nursing conference. And mm-hmm. if you want to know, to me, nurses are the unsung heroes of this world. They really they are. Do mm-hmm. so much, but they're so stressed out. Like, let me tell you, they are so stressed out. Yeah. So I was a keynote speaker in Paris for that. Uh, and then the next one, it took me to London. I spoke at the uh, Sixth International Conference of Depression, Anxiety, and Stress Management. Great conference. The great thing about this conference is, is that you get to meet people from all over the world who are equally passionate about making this world a better place. Yes. Like it's the people that I meet at this conference that I'm really excited about. And we and actually the three people that uh, are partners in the Happiness Center, that's where we met. That's amazing. We met at the uh, International Conference on uh, Positive Psychology and Mindfulness in New York last year, and that's how we all came together. That's really cool. So, um, Ilya, what makes you the happiness expert, and um, how did you become one? <laughs> well, it's a funny story, actually. So, I was born a long time ago in Athens, Greece, back in the day when you didn't have Instagram or Facebook Live capturing every single moment of your mother giving birth to you and mm-hmm. posting it online. So, when my dad showed up at the hospital, this is a story that was told to me growing up over and over and over again. So he approaches this little window, and there I guess there are five babies born. They're all wrapped up in the same generic white blanket back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he asks the nurse, he says, which one is my son out of these five little babies? And I guess at that moment, I happen to have a big smile on my face. Oh. And the nurse turns to my dad and says, your son, he's the happy one. Wow. <laughs> so you got labeled from like day one. From day one, I was labeled. So growing up, you know, they're like, well, you came out of this... Uh, out of the womb happy you were had a smile on your face the day you were born wow. so people that have known me for a long time have said you know regardless of what life has thrown at you for the most part obviously i'm a human being and i get down like everybody else mm-hmm. but for the most part i'm positive happy and always think that there's a solution to every problem there's nothing that we can't resolve if mm-hmm. we have a, an open mind and an open heart totally but here's the funny thing about that Fast forward 25 years, now I'm in graduate school, getting my PhD in psychology, and the professor is speaking about nature versus nurture. Yeah. Mm. In other words, is it your genetic predisposition that makes you who you are, or is it the environment that you grew up in? Right. And the reality is that it's both, right? Yes. So in the middle of this class, I had this terrible thought. I'm like, wait a minute. What if my dad was stuck in traffic when I was born? And he shows up at the hospital like 15 minutes late. Mm-hmm. He goes up to the same little window asks the same nurse, which one is my son? And at that very moment, yep. I've got like stomach pain and I'm screaming my head off and my face is all red. 
And the nurse says, your son, he's the cranky one. Mm -hmm. And then I grow up being labeled as the cranky one. My my parents say, hey, you you came out of the womb cranky. You've been a miserable little beep (laughs) 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 your whole life. But my point is this, that your personal brand plays a big role in how you view yourself and how happy you are and how contented you are in life or not. Right. And as I've spread this message throughout all my talks and my travels, I've come to this conclusion. There are some people that were branded early on, not maybe not the first day of their, when they were born, but early on in their homes. Mm-hmm. And some of those brands are positive. For example, obviously the happy one, I'm so grateful for this brand because I've lived it, right? Yeah. But there are other positive brands. The special one, the... Uh, the smart uh, one, the, the, the smart one, the cute one, the adorable one, mm-hmm. the athletic one, the artistic one, the princess. Yeah. You know, if you so if you if you're listening, I want you to go back and think about what is your brand basically. Yeah. And if you've got a positive brand and you've lived into that positive brand, good for you. That actually, you're very you're very blessed, honestly. Or However, how, how did your environment brand you? Like, how did your exactly. parents like like yes, being really aware of that. However, my experience is what that there's an equal and greater amount of negative branding mm-hmm. that has taken place. The majority of people do not have a positive brand. Yeah. So what are some of the negative brands? Oh my goodness. I can tell you the biggest three, particularly as it relates to women. I think that's very important because mm-hmm. I work primarily, I would say 70% of my patients and my clients over the last 30 years have been women. Mm-hmm. These are the top three. There are others and worse. The ugly one, oh. the stupid one, and the fat one. Ouch. Unbelievable. Those are terrible. Unbelievable. No they're, no, they're, no, they're terrible. And imagine that you are like growing up that way. And that's what you're told. Well, and as a as a female in, in the world, like that's what we're looking at all the time in magazines, in shows, in, in stories, in everywhere. We're blasted with images. And if we're not, yeah, it's, it's so... It's so detrimental to our mental health. I mean, even just playing with Barbies, right? Like Barbies are tall and skinny. And if you're not tall and skinny, well, why is, what's wrong with me? You know, we are having these things modeled to us and, um, and these toxic labels placed on us. And yeah, that can be very damaging. Very toxic labels. But I do want to tell you something that's truly inspiring. And this is the message for, for the audience, for the listeners. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I'm giving this talk in North Carolina. It's a women's group, 500 women. And as I'm going through, I notice that there's this older lady in her 70s, gray hair, who stands up and starts waving her arms. So kind of interrupting my talk. So I'm like, I stopped and I'm like, yes, ma'am. It says, you know what? I've been listening to you about this branding. And for seven decades, listen to this, for 70 years, I have lived with this brand. And I'm like, well, what was your brand? And she wanted to say there's an expletive first, but she had all three of them. Wow. You are the stupid, fat, ugly beep, wow. right? Ouch. And, and and the audience, I mean, we were all stunned. Like, quite, you could hear a pin drop, right? And I'm like, and I was kind of stunned too. And I'm like, okay, ma'am. Um, it's because, you know what, after listening to you, because I challenged the audience, I said, if you don't like your brand, today's the day to make a choice. Yeah. Reject the brand that you grew up with and choose your own brand. She goes, you know what, after listening to you, I'm going to choose my own brand. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I said, okay, ma'am, well, what would you like to be known as from this point forward? And her name was Leah, by the way. Mm-hmm. She, uh, first name. She goes, well, from now on, I want to be known as Princess Leah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm up on the podium and like up there, I'm going, and I bow, I'm like, yes, your majesty, you know, whatever you mm-hmm. say, your majesty. And people laughed and, you know, there was kind of a lighthearted moment. However, the message is this. 
if a lady at 70 years old plus can change her brand and reject the negativity that she grew up with all those years yeah. and choose something positive, so can you. Exactly. So as a listener, I want you to ponder this seriously. If you have a positive brand, that's great. Catch your blessings. However, if you don't, do not waste another day believing what you were told when you were a little kid about who you are. Right. Well, and and yes, it is a choice that you make in the moment, but practicing like her really embodying her Princess Leah-ness, you know, like that's yeah. going to take a lot of work and that's going to take a lot of reprogramming and rewiring of her brain. And so we don't want to have listeners be like, oh, it's it's so easy. It's just flipping on a switch. Yes, flip no, on the switch the and then get to work. Though. Yes. It's the first step, however, Absolutely. because the way that we view ourselves is so critical yes. to how, you know, do we like ourselves, love ourselves, hate ourselves, dislike yeah. ourselves? Yep. It's critical how we view ourselves. And it has to start with us. Do not let somebody else define who you are, I guess, mm -hmm. is the message. Yes. Well, and and I really liked how you brought up the nature versus nurture. Um, I'm going to pull out a study that you placed in your book by David Lichen. Um, he studied identical twins separated at birth and concluded um, after 30 years of researching them that only 50% of the happiness is, is determined by genetic material. The other 50 is environment. Um, so it's things that you can control. So we are not just, it's not just doom and gloom because our genetics tell us one thing. Like we can change our genetics. We can change our thought processes. And, and like you said, practice, it's like, it's like working out. You have to go to the gym multiple times a week for multiple hours. Like this is a practice. We are strengthening our brain muscles now to reprogram our perspective on ourselves and our lives and our environment. And the great beauty, as you know, you know, neuroplasticity in your brain, that we are capable of changing those pathways, the neuropathways. That is the greatest. Nice. I think, you know, up until a few years ago, we did not know that. No. So we thought we were kind of doomed, mm -hmm. right? But that's not true anymore. We've yeah. been able to study the brain up close. Yep. And that is very empowering to know that anyone, even at 70, can make mm -hmm. changes in, in a positive way. Yes. What They're an empowering thought, right? That the, the world that we've inhabited for our entire lives, no matter how old we are, can be changed just by changing the way that we look at ourselves, exactly. by changing the words we use to describe ourselves. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off topic. Elia, why do you think we are here today with so many people depressed, so much, I, I don't want to use the word doom and gloom because it kind of cheapens the conversation, but like, like we have really created a toxic society and I feel like that starts from young. So what went wrong? Like where, where did our, and I don't want to say your parents failed you, but where did our parents fail us? What, like, like what happened? Why I are mean, we, why are we so negative? And I think it's easy to blame our parents and blame our environment and True. blame all that. But I would tell you, my experience has been that parents for the most part have done the best they knew how. Yeah. And, and if you really want to know, well, why did my mom and dad or stepmom or stepdad, you know, treat know me the better. way that they did find out about what their lives were like growing up too. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm kind of like, I, I'm not in the blame game, honestly. I'm more into empowerment. It's yeah. like, what can we do about it now? Yes. So, um, yeah. So what I can we do about are, it now? Yeah. I think we're a society that's kind of obsessed, though, in a, in a lot of ways. And being, you know, here's the thing. If you were to ask somebody, how's your day going? Have you ever heard of anybody say, I'm totally not stressed out? <laughs> has, <laughs> no. ever said, has anyone ever said that? You know, oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm so busy. Mm -hmm. Well, busyness you know, people feel like that's a badge of honor. Mm. The busier I am, if I proclaim that I'm so busy, you know, and I show that on, you know, on social media too, I'm so busy. Guess what? Business, number one, 
doesn't mean you're being productive. Right. That's number one. Exactly. And number two, being busy doesn't make you happy. Right. That's number two. Yep. So being obsessed with being busy and showing that the busier I am, maybe, you know, the more kudos I get mm-hmm. is a, is it's just a terrible road to go down. Yeah. I could not agree with that more. I think we are biologically designed to get stuff done, yeah. but we've replaced actual productivity in recent years with this false sense of busyness that has us running on a treadmill and going nowhere. Right. So that's awesome. And just sitting in the seat of a a parent right now of young children, like I, I I see the culture around me. Like we have to get our kids in soccer and piano and dance and karate and this and that, but why are we not prioritizing playtime? Why are we not prioritizing happiness? Why are we not prioritizing um, downtime where they can get creative? I know with our son, Tennyson, it was really interesting raising our first child um, because he would get these messages from TV that were really negative. And I was like, where is that coming from? And so what Tristan and I, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of is every night he sings a song of affirmations and it's, I am happy, I am good. And he says that over and over and over. And we've really seen him transform. Like I haven't, I don't know, maybe you haven't, maybe you've heard something, Tris, but like, I haven't heard Tennyson talk badly about himself in a really, really long time. Now I've noticed there were two things that we changed. One, his nutrition, um, because he's not in school anymore and he's not being fed bad food. But also when we incorporated those affirmations and we allowed a lot of playtime, he completely changed. Didn't you notice that? Absolutely. And yeah, he's been a different boy. So what can you tell the parents right now as far as prioritizing happiness and making sure that we are proactive about this upcoming generation so that they are not getting these negative messages of beauty is everything, weight is everything, intelligence is everything. Like what what can you tell listeners right now that we can fix today and ourselves and our children? I, I love the fact that you promote idle time. You know, idle yes. time if we keep our kids so busy that they never have some time to themselves to actually be right. bored in some ways and mm-hmm. to get creative about it, learning how to entertain themselves, mm-hmm. we're doing them a disfavor. Totally. Um, you know, the, the, the having kids in every class, it, it, back to back, five days a week and the weekends get even busier is insanity to me. Mm-hmm. And That's I will tell crazy. you this, if you want to know, you know, what, what works you have to look at people that have lived a long time mm-hmm. there's certain places around the world called blue zones yes one of them happens to be in greece mm-hmm. in the in the island of ikaria mm-hmm. so you know and they've done studies why do these people live deep into their 90s into their 100s what is the secret to their success and i'm not talking about one or two people i'm talking about the entire island basically yeah. you know what they found out what that Everything in moderation, just like Aristotle said. Yeah. They take siestas, they sleep for two hours during during the day That's to re- awesome. recharge and rejuvenate. Is I that would, productive? I would uh, love a two-hour nap in the day. And I know every <laughs> mom out there right now is like, yes, sign me up. Two to four in the afternoon, let's all take a nap. <laughs> you know, they exercise moderately. They, they walk, they mm-hmm. swim, they eat healthy. Yep. They have their glass of wine every day. They have their their uh, you know uh, honey, which is in Greece honey, you know, or their virgin olive oil. They mm-hmm. eat healthy. And the other thing is that they communicate, they, they interact, they have a rich social circle. Yeah. So they're not isolated. Yeah. And there is no technology really in some ways. There are limited technology. Oh, so they like live that. life in the present yeah. and they're happy and content and live healthy both mentally and physically. Yeah. Deep into their nineties, into their one hundreds. Yeah. So that to me 
is a model for success, I guess, what I would say. Absolutely. Now, how do we adapt it to our current circumstance? That's up to each one of us, right? right. If you have little kids, you're not going to have a two-hour nap in the middle of the day. But can you have a half an hour quick power nap? Maybe. Perhaps you can. <laughs> so right. it, it's funny that we get to this point because we're talking about this, almost this model society that we all want to live up to. And it reminds me of one of the concepts in your book about comparing ourselves, because I think oh. of that and I'm like, ah, oh, we don't have that in our world. We're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I find myself falling into that trap of comparing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. So number one, in, let's all be honest, we all make comparisons, yeah. either consciously or unconsciously. The The point of this next topic is how do we minimize them? Yeah. So if I make comparisons with somebody else, there are only, only two outcomes, uh, either I'm better than you or you're better than me. Yeah. So no if one I'm wins. better than you, basically, I'm like this arrogant jerk and nobody likes to be around arrogant, you know, self-centered, narcissistic people. So that's out. Mm-hmm. But typically... In my experience, anyway, especially working again with women, is that comparisons have been on the negative side. In other words, that other lady is better than me in as a mom, as a wife, as a girlfriend, as a friend, as a you know. You could go down the list. Physical, of of course, appearance, thinner, taller, cuter, better hair, blah blah blah. I mean, these comparisons are endless, and they make us feel bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. So. We have to avoid comparison at all costs. However, there's one comparison actually that actually avoids all of this and it's actually good for us. Guess who we need to compare ourselves with? To ourselves. Exactly. Did I win? (laughs) (laughs) What's my prize? So now, now, how does this work in practicality, right? So I would ask the audience if you have, when you have time, go back 10 years, five years, last year, and now, and compare yourself to yourself in the past. In three categories, it could be finances, it could be your physical health and well-being, it could be your emotional health, and be honest and say, where was I 10 years ago? How about five years ago? How about last year? How about now? And if somehow you're in better shape, let's take the physical because that's an easy comparison. If I'm in a better physical health right now, I'm eating healthier than I was before, I'm exercising more than I was before, then pat yourself on the back and say, great job. That's not an arrogant statement. You're not putting anybody else down, but you're saying... I'm actually on a good path. I'm mm-hmm. doing well. So every once in a while, we need to reward ourselves that way to acknowledge that consciously. Absolutely. So that's on the one side. The flip side, however, is let's say like 10 years ago, you were you didn't have any kids and you have the time and you were exercising, you're doing all that stuff. And five years ago, you start having kids. Now you have two kids. You don't have time to go to the gym. You're stressed and overwhelmed. You don't eat very healthy. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, you're less healthy now than you used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the point of that comparison is not to beat yourself up but here's the question that comes next. What are you willing to do about it to get back on track? Mm-hmm. Because five or 10 years ago, when you were in better shape and healthier, you felt better about yourself. And that's where you want to get back to. Yeah. Not to beat yourself up. So if we're going to do comparisons only within ourselves, and those are the two outcomes. Mm-hmm. If it's positive, great. Pat yourself on the back. And if it's not positive, then what will you do about it? And then set a plan to go and accomplish that. Yep. That's it. Yep. I love that. Um, I want to go on to um, our next point, which is happiness is a choice. And I'm going to read, um, you quoted Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote E Pray, Love in your book. And right. she says here, um, happiness is the, cons- is the consequence of personal effort. You fight for it, strive for it, insist upon it. You have to participate relentlessly in the manifestation of your own blessings. And once you've achieved a state of happiness, you must never become lax about maintaining it. 
you must make a mighty effort to keep swimming upward in the happiness forever. And so I want to talk because this can be a little controversial when we say, you know, us sitting here, we're happy and we're saying, this is so easy to be in our space. What about those people that, um, that are really struggling with this concept that have to be on medication in order to function? What kind of message or what can we tell them about changing their lifestyle to obtain happiness? And, and I know you've worked with a lot of people in this space. Can you shine a light on this? Because I don't want to be insensitive to those people that are really in a space of struggling right now. Um, so what can, like, what message do we have for them? You know, that is a great question. And yes, it can, it can sound controversial that happiness is a choice. A lot of people feel despondent and depressed and don't feel like happiness is a choice. Right. However, in my first half of my career as a clinical psychologist, I work with a lot, in particular women who are depressed, who are told either by other therapists or psychiatrists, you will never, you will always be on this medication for the rest of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And we get that at time I mean, too. Yeah, whether you're, you're bipolar or depressed or whatever the case may be, for the rest of you, you'll be on this medication. You know what my first statement was? Number one, I want you to rethink that statement, that yes. belief system. Awesome. Because as long as you believe that, then there's no other solution, right? Exactly. I will always be on this medication. Yep. I'm like, perhaps if you and I work hard together, I'll get to know you. I'll give you the tools that you need. I'll hold you accountable, but yep. you got to do the work. That's yep. the partnership. Perhaps at some point you lessen the doses of the medication because you're feeling better. Yes. And perhaps at some point you let it go in its entirety. Right. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of people who were told that are no longer on medication. I've stayed friends with them. I've, I'm in contact with them mm-hmm. 15, 20 years later. So this wasn't a quick fix. You know why? Because they did their homework. They healed from their wounds and they made different choices, yeah. and slowly they reduced it, reduced it, reduced it, and finally they chose themselves. I didn't tell them to get off medication. Yeah. They said, I don't need this anymore. I'm happy. I'm content. Not a perfect life, of course, mm-hmm. but I have enough tools to know how to deal with life's ups and downs yeah. without the medication. Is that for everybody? I wouldn't say it's for everybody, but there's enough evidence to tell you that don't believe that you will be stuck right. in this forever. Because that limits your solutions then. Well, and it goes back to your original story of being the happy baby. Maybe these people that are going to these doctors then adopted a new label of the broken brain, right? I am depressed. Right. I I need medication to function. And so once we can slough off that title and that belief system, then we can start getting to work, you know, and adopt a new belief system and then work hard, work on it daily, put, you know, Tristan and I were saying, I was telling Tristan, I'm like, sometimes healing our emotions and healing our emotional wounds is a part-time job. And you, you said, no, Janique, it's a full-time job. Like yep. we have to work on this every single day for hours and hours and hours. And that is absolutely true, but it is attainable. And I use this example a lot. You know, these, these, these women that do these figure competitions, these bikini figure, what are they called? You know, they, they work out, they put tons of muscle on and whatnot. Like if they went to a, a a personal trainer and they said, I want to win a bikini competition, but I can only work out twice a week for 30 minutes. What's the personal trainer going to do? They're going to laugh at them and be like, you will not obtain this. See these people in order to transform their body massively, they are in the gym multiple hours a day, every single day. And so, and I want to kind of put that in the context of our brain, right? If we are going to change the neuroplasticity of our brain, we need to be in our mental gym for multiple hours a day, working at it hard, rewiring our neurological system, because 
um, neurons that fire together wire together, or neurons that wire together fire together. What's the saying? Fire together, wire Thank together. Thank you. you neurons that fire together wire together. And so it's a daily practice. We have to go at it every single day. But first, get rid of that label. And I'm really glad that we started with that. Um, so, and, and can I share something about that? Because there's some exciting news that are coming out. There's something came out this morning from, from Neuroscience News. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this article called Happy, Sad, Study Uses Artificial Intelligence to Examine What Affects Our Emotions. Mm -hmm. So this is really very, very, this is cutting edge. We're talking about today. Yeah. This came out this morning. Mm -hmm. So, and and I'm just going to read it just because I think it's easier. So we all deal with emotions during busy days. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad. But what affects our emotional state? That's Mm -hmm. what a new study involving university students hopes to find out. So basically, the Center of Brain Health at the University of Texas in Dallas is teaming up with MindCurrent. MindCurrent is the world's first personalized app, happiness app. So it's going to be like a 45-day study that utilizes new artificial intelligence technology to chart human emotions in real time. This has never happened before. So using the MindCurrent app, basically, Mm -hmm. 50 participants, 45 days, they're going to track their emotions as they're using this app. and to correlate their input with behavioral, biometric, environmental, and activity data drawn from, you know, their Apple Watch products. So we're very curious to see what the outcome would be, yeah. right? Yeah. To find out if, if what, what is your energy today, basically. That's what MindCurrent does, right? It's, it studies those factors. Are you sad? Are you stressed? Are you anxious? So, um, for, for, so for viewers that don't know what MindCurrent is, can you guys explain what it is? Basically, it's a it's a it's a brand new app. Whether you have you know your iPhone or your Apple Watch or your, your Android, you can download MindCurrent. It's a it's an app that basically shifts uh, your your energy. So the idea is like you know for the last decade, so it helps so reprogram have, you. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So oh, it helps. Know, had, it's like a breathing app, right? It, exactly, but it's for your emotions and your brain, right? Interesting. So. We are here to gather the data and analyze it. And I would like to come back in a couple of months and share with you the results because I think we know that this app works, but we need to prove it scientifically, basically. And mm. we're grateful for the University of Texas for taking this on. That's awesome. Um, you know, this has been going on for decades where psychologists and therapists and researchers have been trying to collect enough data to determine what triggers emotional changes. Yeah. So the way that the app works, let's say you wake up in the morning and say, What's your energy like today? And you mm-hmm. click on the app and say, I'm feeling sad. Yeah. Well, then you get three or four micro, what we call them micro shifts or short videos, maybe 30 seconds or a minute and a half through the app that shift your energy from negative to positive. Mm-hmm. This is, these shifts are by worldwide experts on happiness, wellness, on parenting, yeah. you know, how to be a better parent, how to find happiness and wellness at work, how to shift your energy at work. Mm-hmm. So it's a revolutionary app. We're just getting started. Um, I'm very personally very grateful that I was asked to be involved and do the happiness aspect of that app. Yeah. But we have other world-leading experts that are also uh, participating in this app. And I would love to share with you, I mean, there's a lot of NPRs interested in, in talking to us once this study comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forbes magazine is very interested. We have a lot of buzz, but we have to prove it first scientifically. Right. And so that's what the University of Texas is doing right now is using this exactly. to prove to right. prove that right. because it's basically a practice, right? It's an app that helps you practice mindful shifting. Correct. So the, the students basically will go on this app uh, five to six times per day for 45 days and they, you know, and then they mm-hmm. journal and they capture, you know, how that mood, the idea is that we can have 
your phone basically becomes your your, your accountability coach yeah, or your happiness yeah. coach. Interesting. And it's the the thing is that the 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 founders of this app had this idea eight years ago, mm-hmm. but the technology didn't exist. Yeah. Well, now it exists, and now we've built it. So let's see what happens. Very cool. And here's it's what's really exciting. Though. Here's what's really cool about this. You can actually go to the app store right now and download this app. And within the next couple of minutes, you could be listening to Dr. Elia help Mm -hmm. you discover happiness as your personal inner voice coach. That's awesome. (laughs) That's really cool. Um, I want to jump ahead and talk about um, toxic relationships. What do you yeah. So what do you have to say about that? Because, you know, yes, we need yeah. to get rid of them, but easier said than done. Yeah. So yeah, on my business card, which I actually never use anymore because my book has become my business card. But if I were to give it to somebody in the back, it says it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Our lives are all about relationships. It's so true. When we surround ourselves with positive, loving, supportive, kind and loving, you know, human beings, our lives are greatly enhanced and we're much happier that way. Mm-hmm. If however, we surround ourselves with toxic people, what's a toxic what's a toxic person? If I were to ask you what what's the first thing that comes to mind if you surround yourself by toxic people? What does that look like? Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is someone that constantly talks about politics. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like I uh, yeah. like but but because it's so controversial and so inflammatory and everyone just gets really angry about it. Like we we've lost the ability to talk about politics in a healthy manner. So that's what comes to my mind For is sure. someone that's just yelling about but, politics. But it's about toxic, like even in one's family, like if you have a mm. toxic or, or, or a fr- so-called friend, quote unquote, mm-hmm. when you're in the presence of a toxic person and, and you part ways, let's say you go out to lunch with someone who's very toxic. Yeah. How do you feel afterwards? Oh, Are it, you it, drained? It's like an energy zap, right? Yep. You walk away and you've, catch you've caught their their disease of unhappiness right. <laughs> it's like it's well, contagious right well and that's ex- that's exactly right it's an energy drainer you feel worse from that interaction mm-hmm. than you felt before you went out to lunch with them yeah now if you have that repeatedly in your life guess what's going to happen to your own happiness it's, level right it's going to go down mm-hmm. and i made a conscious decision about 15 20 years ago that I'm going to eliminate toxic relationships from my life. Yeah. It, it was an intentional thing. I thought about it consciously and I looked around and I didn't have that many. I have like two or three people and I cut them off mm-hmm. because I'm a positive person. I bring love and happiness to people, but I expect others to treat me the same in return. Yeah. So toxic relationships, you need to identify. A lot of people say, well, what if it's my mother? What if it's somebody that I can't exactly. divorce? Let's say I can't get rid because they're not an acquaintance or a friend. How do I deal with them then? And that's actually a very legitimate and a good question. That's a that's a big topic. I mean, we can, if we have time, we can discuss it. But you still need to make those changes, right? You have to create boundaries. And I think a big part of this too is recognizing that you like you are important enough to do that, right? You are important enough to set up those boundaries. Um, you don't like giving yourself permission to say no. I think, and again, I'm talking from a woman's seat because as women, we're programmed to please everyone around us, right? No, you're and right. So, and totally so, right. so when we prioritize ourselves and say, you know what, the only person I need to please is myself. And then once you go from there, once you can fully accept that and step into those shoes, then you say, okay, what kind of work do I need to do? What boundaries do I need to put up um, to make sure that my happiness bubble is not being interfered with? And so if you're a woman out there, if you're a mom, like um, recognize that you are important enough to do that. 
And don't worry about hurting other people's feelings because that's, it's, it's not about them. It's about you. And, and I only say that because that's been a hard thing for me as a woman is to put up boundaries with toxic people um, because I, I have my entire life wanted to please everyone. And then cancer hit us. And then I was like, nope, no more. No, <laughs> like, no time for that. No time for that. <laughs> so don't wait until someone gets cancer to put up those boundaries, guys. Um, can we talk? But hopefully, yeah. but hopefully you don't have to wait for something so difficult yes. to hit your family in order to get cancer in order to be able to stand exactly. up for yourself. Just My do point it now. If you're, if you're not a toxic person yourself toward you treat others with kindness and respect mm -hmm. and love, then expect the same in return. Exactly. That's all I'm saying to you because that's, one way to show that you actually love yourself. Exactly. So setting those boundaries with people that are toxic are, is absolutely necessary. Yep. Um, can we talk about your, um, in your book, you also say attitude of gratitude. Let's talk about that real fast. So attitude of gratitude, you know, that's a great phrase, right? We've heard it a bazillion times to have an attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I believe I cannot be grateful on the one hand and be depressed at the same time in the yeah. same moment. Mm -hmm. When I'm in a gratitude mode, you know, I'm at peace. Uh, I feel like things are going to work out. I'm grateful for, for what I have. Yeah. So, and I would tell you, I'm probably the most grateful guy when everything is going well in life. Because <laughs> yeah. that's easy. Yeah. The, the hard part is, how can you be grateful when things are not going well in your life? Right. And, you know, I talk about that we, all of us, everyone listening to this, this uh, podcast, we're all graduates from the same university, mm -hmm. the University of, of Adversity. <laughs> all of I like that. Well, no, because in, in the in the the longer we live, you know, so some of us have a have a bachelor's degree, or you know, we're getting our associates. Some of us are bachelor's, some in graduate school. Mm -hmm. Some of us have a PhD in adversity, and some of us have, have a postdoc. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean by that, the older we get, inevitably in this lifetime, we're going to lose loved ones. Mm -hmm. We're going to lose our parents or our grandparents. We're going to lose, God forbid, a, a child or mm -hmm. a spouse. Um, we're going to get cancer or diabetes right. or, or a stroke. Mm -hmm. We're going to get fired from a job. We're going to have financial difficulties. Yeah. We're going to have broken relationships and divorces. We're going to have our kids going in a different direction that we want them to. And, you know, we're, we're going to experience those things because that's part of life. Yeah. So, and actually I was giving a talk in San Diego, uh, last year. And I had a lady that came to me afterwards goes, you know what you talked about that University of Adversity? I've had all of these that you talked about. Yeah. And she starts naming off. Like, <laughs> I've had cancer. I've had a stroke. I've had a heart disease. I've had, you know, I've been divorced twice. I've had, I mean, I've, I mean, but she still had a smile on her face. Yeah. And I was kind of like intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. And then she asked me, goes, how old do you think I am? Which is a trick question. If you're a man, you never answer that question. But, I mean, she was very old. Like, so I'm like, oh, I don't know, ma'am, uh, 75. She goes, no, I'm 91. Wow, Ooh. that's amazing. No, and I'm like, no, no. I said, you're 91. What was her secret? Exactly. I'm like, what is the secret to your success? And she goes, you know what? An attitude of gratitude. That's the mm. secret to my success. Yeah. No matter what has happened in my life, I'm still grateful for the things that I do have. And I don't concentrate on things I don't have or I wish I had. Yeah. Well, which we have a society... We're obsessed by what we don't have, yeah. but what everybody else has on social media. I think we, um, you know, if we go back to like our, our ancestors and stuff, like our, and, and the lizard brain, right? I talk about the lizard brain from time to time. Like we are programmed to see what is missing because our ancestors needed to survive in the wild. They needed to see what they needed to survive. Now we have everything we need to survive, but we still have that lizard brain that overrides everything. And so I think... The, uh, the practice of gratitude, like it's something we have to practice every single day. Again, going back to um, 
doing these things daily um, is really important and teaching our kids that too. Again, I'm sitting in the mom seat here and I know that my son is always saying, well, my friend has this toy and that toy and I constantly have to redirect his focus. And so if we have never had that training in our lives, you know, if we've always been in fight or flight mode all the time, we, we need to learn that, that an attitude of gratitude has to be practiced. It isn't, it does, it's not second nature to us. Like fight or flight is second nature to us. Like we are so, we can so easily go into stress mode like that because that's how our brains have been programmed over millions of years. But this attitude of gratitude, this is something new in our society that we have to learn to incorporate daily. And here's what I love about Elia is that during this uh, conversation we've been having, I've heard him mention his gratitude at least three or four times already, which means that you, Elia, are actually living all the stuff that you're teaching and you are actual proof of what you're telling people to do. I love that. Well, you know, Tristan, I'm not aware of that. I, I don't. I don't remember when I said that. I, uh, you picked it up, but I don't remember saying anything like that. But thank you. Well, it just does, just goes to show that this is something that can become just a natural part of our personality. That you don't always have to fake it till you make it. It may feel like that initially, but over time, as you get better at it, it just becomes who you are just like happiness, yep. right? I'm sure that you don't have to wake up every morning and say, okay, here we go, Dr. Elia. We got to be happy today. Right? <laughs> you, you wake up happy because that's what you've been practicing for basically your entire life. Basically. And if I don't wake up happy, because, you know, I'm getting older, there are aches and pains. I switch to the gratitude mode. I'm like, I'm really glad, you know, it, because the gratitude list, by the way, is endless. I can give you three things that I'm grateful for every day for 365 days and have them all be different. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it, practice. And the one thing that I want to share with you, you know, people have said, well, why is your book, you know, if you go on Amazon and you read the reviews, it has a 97% positive rating, which mm -hmm. it, it looks fake. Like in the publishing world, that's unheard of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know why? And this is what the readers have said is I, I didn't write anything that's new, you guys. I mean, nothing that Aristotle didn't say 3000 years ago, or the Dalai Lama isn't saying now about happiness. However, at the end of every chapter, I have a couple of points for the reader to consider and to think about, a yeah. couple of questions to answer, and then what I call take action, yeah. which is this is how you do it. And that's based on my 30 years with working with people that they taught me what works. Yeah. If you do the exercise, I promise you, you will be happy. I guarantee it because it works. Because knowledge without application is just education. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that's huge. We know that. We have all read the book. <laughs> We can read the book and highlight it like we do with all of the other books that we read, the self-help mm -hmm. books. And guess what happens afterwards? We put them up on the bookshelf never to read them again. And we, okay, and well, we think, well, that was nice. What's next? But, you know? but, yeah. our, but our lives don't change that way. We're just more knowledgeable. And I could even dare say we're probably more frustrated because now we know more, yeah. but I'm still not as happy as I could be. Right. So you've got to apply the principles and do the homework. That's the work in, in, that includes gratitude. Exactly. Do a gratitude journal every day write three simple things every morning before you wake up or if you want to do it at the end of the day yeah. and keep a gratitude journal. I will tell you this, the days when you are down, I would ask you to go and open your gratitude journal and read 10 or 20 statements you have made as a reminder to yourself mm -hmm. that, man, there's a lot of good things in my life still. Yesterday has been a rough day or this has been a tough week, but I'm still Absolutely. grateful for so many things. But we got to do the work. Yeah. It, and it takes a lot of work. Um, 
on top of the gratitude journal, what I normally recommend to people too is listening to affirmations. But this is this is the key to it. Um, just and and I'm not an affirmations expert, but this is just from my own experience. A lot of experts will say, write down your affirmations. I found with myself, I was in such a state of fight or flight, I couldn't even think past three affirmations. So what I did was I went to YouTube and I found some affirmations that really resonated with me. And it was someone else that wrote them. And it was like a two hour recording. And I listened to that every single day, especially during my times when I was like so triggered because I, I, I was having panic attacks at the time and I, was, I wasn't functioning like a normal person. And I remember thinking like, this is not sustainable. Like this stress is eventually going to be the death of me. And so I went online and I listened to these affirmations. And when I found myself being triggered, I just turned the affirmations on. And it was kind of like Pavlov's dogs, right? Where I was just tri- like, it would trigger my brain into a different state after a while. And so what I recommend to people is yes, absolutely. Write down the, the, the things you're grateful for, but listening to affirmations is amazing. It, it just helps get you in a different mindset to override the negativity that's constantly being um, replayed in your brain over and over and over. And then the third thing, and Tristan could probably talk a little bit more about this, is meditation. Like, and a lot of people are like, I can't meditate. Everyone can meditate for about a minute and then go up to two minutes, then three minutes, then five minutes, then 10 minutes, right? Do you have anything to say about that, Tris? Uh, I, I don't know how much we really need to get into that, but okay. I think it falls into that same pattern of practicing this every single day. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the most powerful meditations you can do is to meditate on your gratitude. Because yes. like you said, sometimes it's difficult to come up with things because we're in such a state of anxiety and, mm-hmm. and stress all the time. But the longer you sit still, the longer yeah. that you allow all of the initial emotions to pass through, the easier it is to come up with the the feelings of gratitude, the emotions that really charge you and move you forward. Yep. And and like Ilya said, it's something that you just do baby steps at a time until you get to where you're trying to go. Yep. Um, I know we're running short on time, so I want to, but I want to make sure that we cover one or two more topics. Um, Ilya, cultivating a balance between your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. What can you tell us about that? Well, I think it's it's hard to be happy if you're at war with your body. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. If, if you don't take care of your body, we only have one body in this life. We're not going to get another one. Right. If you don't take care of it by even if – I'm not talking about anybody becoming a triathlete. Moderate but consistent exercise, you know, 30 minutes a day, going for a walk. Yeah. If you just had a baby, you know, push the stroller for 30 minutes, for 45 minutes. Yeah. Moderate stuff but consistent. That's the key. You know, most people make these New Year's resolutions, as you know, I'm going to go to the gym and start eating. And by the average, by February 1st, all those resolutions are out the window. Mm -hmm. So consistency is the key in everything we do. If we do something for two or three weeks in a row, it becomes a habit. It becomes second nature. When Tristan said that I've expressed gratitude three times a day, I don't remember that because it's become second nature for me. Right. You know, mm -hmm. be mindful of what we eat. You know, and you know me, I mean, you guys know me, I'm a Krispy Kreme donut kind of yes. guy. <laughs> this is a man that keeps trying to force feed but, my children donuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm starting to eat more greens because I know that's good for me. Yeah. And you know what's really weird? Because I haven't been the healthiest eater. Um, the more I eat that, the more my body craves it. It's the yes. weirdest thing. I never in, in a thousand years thought I would actually crave eating healthy. I'm so proud stuff. of you because I remember you <laughs> mocking me for my green smoothies <laughs> and my spinach and eggs. And you, you would call it a forest drink. You said, oh, that smells like a forest. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so proud of you. No, but thank you. But so you, even I can learn. Even in my old days, I can learn to I eat know. a little bit healthier because the older I get, the healthier I need to eat. You know, when you're younger, tricks. you can get away with stuff. Well, I can't get away with that anymore. Right. And, and still have the energy that I need to have in order to do what I do. Right. Well, and you also touched on the blue zones. You said everything in moderation, right? Like if you if someone has the goal of I'm going to get a healthy body, a healthy body does not mean you become like an Ironman triathlete. You know what right. I mean? It's just, it's, it's, are you exercising because your body deserves health or are you exercising to punish yourself? You know, are you exercising because this is now becoming a compulsive? Like I know multiple, because I, as a neurostructural massage therapist, I've worked on thousands of athletes and how many of those athletes were in that position because it was almost like a punishment to their body, right? Like they took it to the extreme because of some kind of like their self-worth was based on their athleticism right and so it's right. the moderation it's it's exercising because you deserve health eating well because you deserve mental clarity and decreased inflammation and wellness you know um an attitude of gratitude and all of these mental health practices because you deserve happiness and you deserve enlightenment and um healthy relationships it's all about the balance and um and not taking these things to the extreme and so balancing this holistic approach with stress and nutrition and uh mental health practices i think is so key and i want to i want to share one last thing actually as far as the seven past the last thing happened because of uh it, it, that has to do with forgiveness. Mm -hmm. People that are have the ability to forgive and to forgive quickly are happier. Yeah. The most difficult person to forgive, though, in life is who? Yourself. Yourself. You're darn right. Mm -hmm. I know. And so if there's – here's what I suggest for people to do. Make a list of things that you have not forgiven yourself for. Right. It could be a long list. It could be three things on that list. Mm-hmm. And then start going down the list. Now, some people take the hardest thing to forgive themselves and work on that first. Yeah. Others start with the easiest thing, you know. Oh, I said something stupid two weeks ago. Okay, well, that's no big deal, you know. And then the game gains some momentum of self-forgiveness. And in my book, I take you step by step by step how to forgive yourself. Because mm -hmm. everybody knows that forgiveness is important. They just don't know how to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's where my book comes in. And with the exercise at the end of every chapter, says, this is how you do it step by step. I will guide you through this. Yes. I love that. I love that your your chapters have action steps. It's fantastic. Um, there was one thing we kind of we didn't we didn't talk about it, but it's in your book, and I I think this is going to be a beautiful note to um, leave off of. Is your first path of happiness in your book is to love yourself, and I yes. feel like this is the hardest for people. Um, why is that? I know I have opinions on why that is, but I want to hear yours. Well, and by the way, the self-forgiveness is part of loving yourself mm -hmm. because if you truly love yourself, you will forgive yourself for your imperfections and the mistakes you've made in life. Right. Yeah. And by the way, I actually, when I when I look at a, a problem, I see either it's a win or it's a learning lesson. I don't look at anything as a mistake anymore. I used to when I was younger because I was a perfectionist. Yeah. But I'm actually a recovering perfectionist. If there was a 12-step <laughs> no, program about for perfectionism, I'd be the front row. My name is Elia, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I love that. Perfectionism is not your friend. Yeah. I used to think that. Right. And, and it was actually very unloving, and I didn't realize it until I got really sick, physically sick because of that. Mm -hmm. And then I had to come to terms like, do you want to continue living your life this way, or do you need to make some changes in your life, drastic changes? Right. And you know what my fear was? That if I let go of the perfectionism, mm -hmm. that somehow my performance would go down. 
Right. Yes, such a common fear. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I was like, I was Dr. Elia, I'm the psychologist, people come to me, I'm supposed to have all the answers, I'm yeah. supposed to do everything right, blah, 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 blah. But guess what? I'm actually, when I make a mistake now, I laugh. Mm-hmm. And I'm lighthearted about it. I'm like, oh, there you go again, you did it again. Right. And it's not a big deal. And it doesn't affect my self-worth or my self-esteem mm-hmm. or my perception of myself. I'm like, you know what? You just made a, you know, mm-hmm. a little boo-boo. It's not the end of the world. Yep. Absolutely. You don't have to be perfect anymore. You have to continue to strive to improve your life. That's different. Yeah. Well, and and so my opinions on the whole self-love thing is no one taught us that as children. Like we were like our value was placed on what? Our grades, our school, our performances, our athleticism, right? But no, I don't ever remember. I mean, I grew up Mormon and I remember praying. And I, I remember that being a great spiritual practice. But I wish someone also taught me a spiritual practice of self-love as well. And, um, and to moms and even people out there now listening to us, like if we can teach our children now a practice of self-love, a practice of affirmations, I, I try to do this with my kids every night. And, you know, I, I, I ask them like, who loves you? And oftentimes I'll say, mommy loves me, daddy loves me. And then my little girl, Satori, she goes, Satori loves me. And I'm (laughs) like, that's absolutely right. You do love you. Like you are your best friend. And teaching them, like creating this language in their in their minds from young, that it's okay to love yourself. It's okay to be your best friend. It's okay to um, to think highly of yourself. Um, oh, this was a really cool experiment that I actually did on Instagram. Um, I had everyone, I, I prepped everyone and I said, I'm going to say something about myself now. And I want you to take inventory of your visceral reaction. And what, and Elia, you're going to find this really interesting. Um, I So basically what I said on Instagram, as I said, I really love myself and I really respect myself and I love the person I am um, and I love where I'm going. And then I asked people, I had them do a poll. I said, how did that make you feel? Did it make you feel uncomfortable or did was it refreshing? And a third of people said they were uncomfortable. And it's like, why is this language so uncomfortable in our society? Why can we not normalize these words of self-love? You know, because because we've, we've almost shamed it, right? It's like, oh, you think highly of yourself, therefore you're arrogant. And I think yeah, we need to have a cultural shift. So there's, a right. there's a huge difference between arrogance and self-love. Totally. Huge difference. So we need to have like this cultural shift of, you know what? Self-love is not arrogance. Self-love is healthy. Like this and this needs to be normalized again. You know, and so and so it goes to culture and it goes to programming. And as as a, and I know I keep sitting in the parent seat, but like I try to teach my my children, like it's healthy to love yourself now and to always love yourself now. And, Remember, and you yeah, can, go ahead. And oh, no, no, you're fine. And and like the the 90 year old woman who is like, look how healthy I am. And it's and it's not too late to teach an old dog new tricks, you know us in our thirties and forties and fifties, like we can start this practice now of self-love and reprogramming ourselves. And remember the arrogance only comes in if you say I'm better than you because right. I love myself. Right. If you just love yourself and you don't make any other comparison with anybody else, you right. should keep on doing it. Right. So I, I just wanted to, to, to put that in there. I thought that was a really fun social experiment. Um, do you guys have anything else to say before we close off? Elia, this has been really enlightening. We are so grateful for your time. Yeah, I just wanted to say this has been such a treat for us. And I think that the audience is really going to like this and we're going to get a lot of positive feedback. So thank you so much for your time. Yes. And and just to 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 kind of summarize, like Elia has given us a lot of really good points. Go get his book, The Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness. But also, guys, I want you to remember that 
It is a practice. Happiness is a practice. It's just like exercising is a practice. Meditation is a practice. Mindfulness is a practice. Like this is something you have to fight for every single day. You have to wrestle with the culture, the environment that has shamed this, that has like minimized this. This is, this should be the most important thing in the world to you. And you should design your life around this concept, around this, to make sure that you are obtaining this because it's the only thing that matters. I mean, there's uh, I, other things that matters too, but. I really agree. You know, Aristotle said that happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim of end of mm. human existence. Think about that, yes. right? So, yes. and let me close with one thing. And you guys, I want you to finish my sentence when I, so no matter where I speak, no matter what the audience is, I start off, the very first thing that I say to them is this. If you were to ask any parent, from any nationality, from any ethnicity, from any socioeconomic, you know, uh, status, from any sexual orientation, from any religion, what would you like for your children? And the, and then I say, I just want them to be Happy. answer. Exactly. Yeah. And do you know that that answer comes from the audience universally? Yeah, there hasn't been one place where I've spoken that that hasn't come out from the audience. Yeah. I don't say it. I just pose the question. I just want my kids to be. Happy. They don't say any other word, happy. Yep. So that's a universal, that deep-seated yep. thing, uh, you know, desire that we all have for, so if, if we want that for our kids, shouldn't we also want that for ourselves? Like, yes. you, like you said, Janine, right? Mm -hmm. To be happy, yes. to love ourselves. There you have it. I mean, that's that's the end of the story right there. So time to start reprioritizing our lives, guys. <laughs> get, yeah. in, get in the mindset and create a community that supports that. Because um, I, I think, you know, you, there's so much that we can do. And then like harvesting a an environment that reinforces that is everything. And so um, we hope you guys learned something valuable today. Ilya, you are fantastic. And we really, we just adore you and your knowledge and your experience. Thank you so much again for being on here. Thanks, Ilya. Um, before we end, uh, Ilya, where we kind of said this, where are, how can people find you? On Amazon, thehappinesscenter.com. Yeah. Amazon is the book. Yeah, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness. Uh, uh, thehappinesscenter.com is uh, is my work. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find my phone number, uh, Dr. Elia Gregoras at msn.com is my email. I mean, feel free. I'm here to spread more happiness and help as many people as possible. That's my calling in life, I feel like. For the rest of my life, That's I've been doing it for a long time. But now with the book getting translated and the international speaking and all that, it seems to be spreading beyond what I had originally thought. And it's very exciting. You know awesome. why? Because the world is starving for happiness yeah. and wellness. That's true. Awesome. And love and kindness. It's, That's why. It's so true. Thank you for your message. You bet. <laughs>